0: Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to have our friend Dick Foth with us on another session of Back Channel with Foth. And we're going to jump in to our interview after with um, Jason Patterson uh, on his book, From Your Biggest Fan. Dick, welcome back to the podcast.
1: My delight. It's always good to see your smiling face because they can't see, but I can see you where it you is, are.
0: It is. And so pretty soon I'm getting, yeah, it's uh, my smile will be complete. Um First question I have for you: You're known for being a mentor. Um, the person says, "I'm in the stage of life that I would like to start mentoring one or two people. How should I go about this?"
1: You know, mentoring is a relatively recent word in our lexicon, and by "recent word," I'm saying in the last couple of decades, it's really come into fashion. The word biblically that we use would be discipling and so forth. Um, It's an old idea, but you see it all through the ages, is that generationally, mentoring happens over and over again. My experience with mentoring is that because of my age, because I come from that, that age group that says, well, Mentoring would like be a curriculum. I've I've had numbers. So I'm 80 years old. I I have 20-somethings come and say, would you mentor me? I said, well, you know, what are you uh, what are you thinking? They said, well, you know, just. I said, well, (laughs) you're not talking about sitting down every week and going through a list of things or studying a, passenger. Right. They said, no, 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 uh, uh, hanging out. Yeah. I said, mean like Starbucks or hiking Horse Tooth Mountain here in first to speak here in Colorado? They said, yeah, that's what I mean. So I think mentoring has to do with proximity. Hmm. That proximity, availability, a listening ear, uh, open to a hard moment in their lives. If you are available, when they struggle, whoever they is or they are, they turn to you. In our in our work in D.C., people say, what did, what did you do in D.C. for 15 years? And when I'm on a plane talking to somebody I don't know who they are, you know, I can't say, well, I'm, I am I want to be at a side or come alongside and help people be like Jesus, whatever. So I, I say the closest idea would be what we call a life coach. And hmm. a life coach is somebody who just is there. Yeah. And uh, from my experience, and they're there in the hard moments, uh, I think. If we don't think of mentoring in terms of structure, but if we think of it in terms of unstructure, okay, by proximity, availability, a listening ear, that makes it work. I don't know that mentoring works because, because I want to be one. Even though that's a, I, I think that's a wonderful thing to want. Yeah. But I think the one who's being mentored has to ask. Hmm. my experience is that that's good so if if they say and for a younger generation if they hear you speak or around you and they sense your authenticity or your vulnerability because that's the road they live on yeah then the chances are they might reach out
0: okay good word good word. So you're saying it's more the person chooses you as a mentor rather than the mentor choosing a mentee? Is that is that correct?
1: Yeah, I think you're. I think you're. You're chosen, and, okay. and um, but you're chosen in part because of what they, what they feel when they're around you. Okay. If if it's a, if it's a natural relationship, I okay. think that.
0: The second question is very similar, similar links to the first one, Dick, is uh, when it comes to mentoring, what are some lessons you have learned along the way um, that I should do and maybe some that I should avoid?
1: I think it's very important to understand that when you're in a relationship, let's say with somebody younger and or somebody who is new to your territory, whether it's geographic or philosophical or theological. I think it's important to understand your part. And that is you, the mentor are in the picture, but you're not the focus of the picture. Hmm. You're not, you know, they, they say that when you take a photograph or when you paint a picture, you want the central subject to be one third from either edge. You're not dead center. And I would just say, you're not that guy. You're Hmm. not that person. You may, you may kind of look like a tree over on the edge. <laughs> and that, that comes back to the previous question about availability. Yeah. So you're not the center of attention when you're the mentor. The other piece would be my, the people that I considered my mentors were people who tended to be 15 to 20 years my senior. Okay. Think about it. You're a young parent, a young dad, who do you want to talk to? Well, if you talk to somebody who's only three years ahead of you, their kids are still in elementary school. <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you choose somebody whose kids have graduated high school? Yeah. Then you can have those conversations Yeah. and you have some range. You have some yeah. perspective on it. Um, I have two who have gone to Jesus in the last three years. One was a backfield high school football coach when I was a 25-year-old church planter. And uh, we became friends, worked together for nine years and stayed friends for the next 60 years. Hmm. And he passed away just a year ago, March. Just a little bit before that, a pastor friend uh, passed away, same age. Hmm. They died in their early 90s. Wow. And uh, I just, they were just key for me at critical points in my life. So when you're thinking of that, the, the age difference yeah uh, is not insignificant.
0: That's good. You picked well. You picked uh, mentors that lived a long time.
1: Oh, man. <laughs> um, and one of, you know, one of them said to me one time when I, would, I had a situation that I thought, oh, man, my whole life's going on the tube. I'm just getting started in this mission thing. And, and so I went to, to meet him in the hall during, between classes in high school. And I said, you know, this person can just makes stuff up. And, so, and he, just, he started laughing. I said, you're laughing at me. My whole life's going down the drain. And he just said, he said, people can say anything about you they want. To. There's nothing. And it's worse today. With social oh. media, by, by light years, it's worse today. Yeah. And he said, all you can do is live a life of such integrity that if people hear it, who know you, they won't believe it. Wow. wow. And, and the other fellow said to me, <laughs> at one point, he he, you know, we used to speak three times a week in, okay. in the context that I grew up in. That's a lot of talking. That's yeah. a lot of work. And he told me one time. he said, you know, guys like you and me speak enough words that it that it would fill up eight or nine novels a year, Dick. Eight or nine <laughs> novels. And then he, grinned, and he grinned, grinned at me. He was from Texas. He grinned at me and said, ain't nobody writes eight or nine good novels a year. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Good word. Good word. Dick, always enjoy spending time with you. And um, yeah, just appreciate your wisdom and insight when it comes to mentoring. We're going to go ahead and jump into our interview with Jason Patterson on his book, From Your Biggest Fan. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here today with a new friend, um, Jason, Pastor Jason Patterson. Uh, my friend Jay Rostefer was at a conference and he heard him speak, and he said, "You got to get this book." And he'd be great if you would agree to interview for the podcast. So, Jason, welcome to the podcast, and uh, so excited to have you with us today. Thanks, Aaron. I appreciate it. I'm I'm excited to be on. Jason, could you go ahead and just share a little bit about yourself? Yeah, just to any direction you would like to go on that. And then we'll jump into some of the questions about your book um, from your biggest fan.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm married to an amazing uh, woman, Andrea. Um, she's a, a scientist, so I hope that all three of our children got her brains <laughs> uh, and not, not mine. So we have three kids, a daughter and two sons. They're nine, six, and one, so wow. we spread them out a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, I uh, We planted a church about five and a half years ago in the Indianapolis area. Um, before that, I traveled full-time in ministry, uh, for about 14 years. Hmm. And, um, so that, that's our ministry journey. And, and, uh, we, we love our, our team and, and our, our church and, uh, God's been really good to us. So, uh, we feel, feel very blessed as a family.
0: Indianapolis. Did you just feel God was leading you there or was it Mina and Karen from, uh, the, uh, what's the, the, the show my wife watches, the home repair show. What brought you to Indianapolis?
2: Uh, Yeah, that's it. That's a good question. Uh, We were in actually living in Oklahoma City before we planted the church that my wife got her doctorate at OU Okay. uh, there in Oklahoma. And um, when she finished it, we kind of felt like uh, we didn't know where we were going to go. Didn't feel like Oklahoma City was the long term place for us. And it also felt like, you know, with that transition, it'd be a good time for me to transition from evangelism to pastoring and church planting, which was was in my heart to do. And so we had no idea where we were going to go. My wife found a company in Indianapolis that she thought would be a great place, you know, for her to work right in her field. And we prayed about it, felt like, yes, this is it. God is in this, like he's leading us. We just quickly developed this passion, um, to, uh, you know, to go there, which I'm sure our friends listening know that feeling. They know that, that, that passion that God can give you. Well, the bottom totally fell out of that job opportunity. Like none of it happened and we just, but we didn't lose the desire that we had to go there and we just, you know, We'd be sitting at dinner, looking at each other, and one of us would just go, "I still feel like it's Indianapolis." You know, it's one of those things. So we just did it. We made the decision to go, and she didn't have a job. I was giving up my job, uh, mm. so it was like, "Well, here we go, Lord." Um, and no surprise uh, to to you or me or or again our friends who are listening in. Um, it, within six weeks, uh, I think of us making the decision. Uh, she had like three or four different job offers in the Indianapolis area. So again, no surprise that God was faithful. Um, He always is, but that was, it was a pretty fast, uh, you know, (laughs) turnaround on that faithfulness. So uh, that's how we wound up here.
0: Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you one more question about Indianapolis and then we'll jump in. What's, what's one thing that you love about Indianapolis?
2: Oh man, that's a, that's a great question. I don't know. I'm a Midwestern boy. I'm from Missouri originally. So it just, it just feels like, like home uh, to yeah. me is just, it's very Midwestern would be my favorite thing about it, which if you're not from the United States, I know we got lots of people listening in from right. all over the place so that that I know that's meaningless to you, but right. it's just the people are friendly and everybody just kind of is neighborly. Even if you've never met them, you wave at strangers. It's just hmm. a, it's a nice uh, place to live. It's a great place to raise um, your kids—it's kind of—it's more relaxed than other parts of the United States, yeah. <laughs> um, and good, good so that's—that's that's probably my favorite thing about Indies. It just feels like home.
0: Good deal. I thought maybe you'd say the, uh, isn't that where they host the final four tournament for the, um, uh, basketball uh, It is the, basketball?
2: the headquarters of the NCAA. So the tournament does happen not every year, but sometimes it does. And we have the Indy 500. So if you're into racing, that's a huge deal yeah. um, here Or the Colts, I guess, uh, if that's yeah, I'm a chief's fan. So
0: <laughs> good deal. Well, Hey, let's jump into the book from your biggest fan. Um, you share that the impetus of your book is that there's an unseen God given potential in every person. Can you share about this unseen God given potential in every person and, and the importance of that message today? I think it's as I read your book, you know, we went through the pandemic and I think it was John Ashcroft that said, you know, we told um, 90% of the US population that they were non essential and needed to stay home. And yeah. your book, it it honestly says, "Hey, we all have God to give potential, and we have a purpose and a reason that God's placed in our heart and lives. Can you share a little bit about that and what the importance of that message is today?
2: Yeah, for sure. i mean, the the book there there's the scriptural like underpinning for the book is really it's one verse. um mm-hmm. in some ways, it's like the first sentence of one verse. It's ephesians two ten. It's my life verse. Mm-hmm. Um so it it resonates a lot with me. Um, but it, it just says that for we are God's masterpiece, we're created anew in Christ Jesus, thank God, um, mm-hmm. to do the good works he planned for us long ago. And, and that verse, just in a very simple way, uh, you know, Paul says it that, that God has packed each of us full of the potential to accomplish the good works that he planned for us. Um, and it, we're, we're his masterpiece, there's just way more inside of us than, than we can see of ourselves. Like when God looks at us. Um, you know, it's a good thought exercise. Like when God looks at us, what does He see compared to what we see? Hmm. Um, and I, I, I think that there is there's more in us than we give ourselves credit that we certainly give, you know, sometimes each other credit for. Um, I do think ultimately we're better at seeing the potential in others than we are at seeing it in ourselves, which hmm. I think is one of the really important parts of the book. Um, because I I think this is true of everybody. So it's true of you. It's true of me. It's true of everybody who's listening in, who's leading, uh, leading a ministry or leading a church or just, you know, leading your family. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's much easier for each of us to see that, that potential in others, but we want to fulfill our own as well. But I actually think the best way for you to discover and fulfill the potential God has for your life is to just worry about everybody else's. If you make hmm. your life about helping everybody else discover the potential God put in them, I think he'll take care of you. Wow. I mean, ultimately the kind of the, the heart of the book and, th- and this idea would be to trust in the principle of sowing and reaping. Hmm. Just trust that if you make your life about helping everybody else become who God made them to be, God will help you become who he made you to be. Um, and And then, you know, I think ultimately that this language kind of about potential and um discover your potential and all that stuff um just I, and i think this is it be important for for you know the your your audience it's really just inspirational language for a something that's really foundational biblically it's just inspirational language for discipleship hmm. you know it's just it's about being you know, made new in in Jesus Christ to to become more like him, to do the good things again that God planned for us long ago. It's just an inspirational way of talking about um, the need to disciple people, to help them become more like Jesus. But then like kind of in like the first Corinthians 12 thing, we're all becoming more like Jesus, but we all have an individual role to play in the church that's unique. Um, And we need you to be you you know what I mean? Like we need each person to be who God created them to be. Cause when we come together, that's how we actually operate as, as the body of Christ. So that was kind of a long answer yeah. with lots of things thrown in there, but that's kind of the heart of the book and why I think it's important because ultimately it's about discipleship.
0: Yeah. And well, I appreciate it because it shows your passion, um, your passion for discipleship. And honestly, it's a, uh... Think it's something the church you know I grew up in somebody's got church you know the the word discipleship and, and that function of that it's I think it's beginning to grow a new sense of urgency and purpose and um that for that I'm ex, I'm excited about it I'm excited Same. about it you share in your book um you shan share about your grandpa I think you refer to him as your grandpa. Yeah. Um, just that he had a prom- profound impact on your life. Can you share just a little bit about him, um, his story, and uh, maybe just share a little bit about some of the characteristics as you think of him? Um, how he, yeah, how he impacted your yeah. life in such a, a profound way.
2: Yeah, ab- absolutely. He's um, he's he's my grandpa through marriage, so he's my my wife's grandpa, and um, it, it, I, I got to know him. He he passed away in 2017. And I, I got to know him for a little over a decade. Uh, and he did I mean, he was one of the most influential people uh in my life um he he pioneered christian television in canada um his name was david Maines and um he so he was a tv evangelist i always feel the need to qualify this um so just take whatever your maybe conception of tv evangelists are and throw all of that out the window because he was mm. the exact opposite wow. of of all of that um he um he uh, he was an amazing amazing leader. Um, he was very humble. His ministry grew to be very influential and very large, um, but he just met every person um, and and it, it, like and treated them like they were the most important person he had ever met. He just had this ability, um, and it, and it came really a lot from the security the, that he had in who he was, and ultimately who he was in Christ. But that allowed him to not worry about what. Um, you know, getting the applause or appreciation or the accolades from everybody else. He was able to just give that to every person he met. it was it was genuinely like a sight to behold uh, to be around grandpa. Um, and he he was a dreamer, so that that was really influential for me. Um, and we've we've all probably had somebody in our lives who, um, you know, inspired us in these ways, but he just, he, he always dreamed big. He had incredible faith. He just always felt like we should do things in ministry that we should do them all in such a way that if God didn't show up, we just look like the stupidest people in the (laughs) world, put it all on God, you know, just put it all on his shoulders, go do big things and just, do them in a way that if God doesn't show up and make something happen, we're all just going to look like fools. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, you know, again, when, when, when you're around people like that, God uses them to just grow your faith. For sure. Um. You know, cause at the end of the day, you know, grandpa knew that he was just like everybody else. He didn't think there was anything special about him. We did. We all thought, you know, he's this, this great, great man. Um. But, it, but it wasn't because he was, uh, you know, convinced of his own greatness, it was b- because he could see it in everybody else, and he he really did spend his life um, using the platform and influence and, and ministry that God had given him to help everybody else um, become who God made them to be. so he he was he was a, a very, very influential uh, person in in my life and voice in in my life, and just an example of what secure um, you know and humble spiritual leadership looks like
0: good word that's one of the things i I want to maybe be put on my tombstone is that people thought more of me once they got to know me than before. And I think that's what, as I read about your, the grandpa, it sounded, and you kind of qualified. It said, everything you think about a televangelist, that's not him. You know what I mean? But I think sometimes we see people like that. We have an idea of what they're like, and then we meet them and we're, we're disappointed. And so I was encouraged just to hear about his life story. And obviously I Googled and searched and did a little bit you know, of, of research on him. Um, yeah. But as you shared, it just sound, sounded like a man that once you got to know him, your respect and your love for him and who he was only yeah. grew. And um, that's one thing I hope that people can say about me when when this is it's all, same.
2: Said, yeah. It's yeah. all said I and done. Yeah. Uh, I think that's one of the greatest compliments we can give somebody um, is that they're even better up close. Yes. Uh, because a lot of people we admire from a distance. Yeah. But then sometimes if you get that up close look, it's like, oh. I, I wish I just actually would have known you only from a distance.
0: Exactly. Uh, Isn't that But like he
2: really was, he was even better up close.
0: That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. So you kind of talked about he was a secure leader. So yeah. I would like to just to take a minute and because you share about this in the book about insecure leaders? What's the impact on on the people that an insecure leader is serving? Um when, when they're leading from this insecurity, how does it impact um, those that they're leading and those they're caring for and and those that are yeah, that they're serving?
2: Yeah, that, that's a, that's a great question. And I, I'll say this, I, I try to um, say this, I mean, I, did, I wrote a book about, you know, leadership, obviously. Um, and, um, but, but I, I didn't write it, because I am the person or leader that I want to be. It was because I felt like I started to get clarity on the person and the leader that I want to be. And so, um, insecurity is, is one of the biggest things that I talk about in the book. And I talk about it because it's one of my biggest struggles. Like, so I just tell people, like, I'm a gold medal winning, you know, insecure person. Uh, I'm the most insecure person in every room I'm ever in. Um, I mean, it's like, it's happening right now while we're on this podcast, you know, I'm like, what's Aaron going to think of me? Like, I can't even see his audience. I don't even know who it is, but are they going to like me? Are they going to like what I'm saying? You know, it's yeah. just it's always happening, um, and leading from insecurity, um, Uh, Some people, you know, will be familiar with, with Craig Rochelle. uh, And he just said it. Well, he said, when we lead from our insecurities, it's hard for anyone to win. Hmm. And and it's so true. And that includes us. Like Hmm. we, we don't win as leaders when we lead from insecurity because rather than being able to celebrate others and what God is doing in their life and how they're growing and what they're accomplishing and how God is using them. We're only concerned with whether or not they're celebrating us. Wow. Like when, when we lead from insecurity, we need a gift from everyone who follows us. So it takes our leadership, which is some like one of our gifts that we have from God that's supposed to benefit everybody who follows us. And we actually flip the whole thing around and make it about us. So we need insecurity causes you to need applause and appreciation and, and acknowledgement. I don't know why all the words start with A, but. <laughs>
0: An affirmation. Like, that would be another one. Yeah. Affirmation.
2: affirmation. <laughs> yeah. That's just very good. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for finishing that out. Like it, you, you need that gift from them hmm. and it, it can create a very toxic environment um, that nobody would ever intend. There isn't who in the world has ever tried to lead something as a spiritual leader for whatever ministry God has called you into. Even again, if it's just leading your friends or your family, or, you know, just like, Uh, you know, a a small organization or a church or a ministry or whatever it is, like, no one has ever sat down and thought, how can I make this toxic? Hmm. Uh, Nobody has ever planned, like, how can I just kind of create an environment that's all about me. Hmm. <laughs> like, obviously when you hear it said that way, we'd all reject, we would all <laughs> sure. outright reject that. The sure. problem is sometimes we're not willing to admit how insecure we really are. And hmm. so we wind up doing things that we didn't mean to. And that's one of the most dangerous things about insecurity is that it will, it will, it will cause us to become the leader we never meant to be. Wow. And, and it really is a very, um, dangerous, um, trap. And and mm. here's the the flip side is so beautiful. And when we see secure leadership, we all we all can see the beauty in it even if we can't put our finger on exactly why. Like when mm. you see a secure leader, like I mentioned grandpa, uh, you know, others can kind of just in their mind think about right. people who have really impacted them and they might not have realized the reason that person or one of the reasons they're so influential is because they're so secure. But it is because when, when you are operating from a secure place, instead of needing a gift from everybody around you, you become the gift to everyone around you because Mm. your life isn't about you. Like you, Mm. you don't need that appreciation and affirmation and applause and acknowledgement. You, you freely give that to everybody else. So the real danger is that if we lead from a place of insecurity, rather than building up the people that God gives us, we end up beating up the people that God gives us. Wow. So again, that was, that was kind of a long-winded answer, but in a nutshell, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's maybe more dangerous than we would like to admit. Um, and who in the world wants to admit that they're insecure? That's like admitting that you're immature. No, no one wants to, to admit that. Um, but I I am really realizing more and more that if, if I'm going to be the leader that, that I want to be, um, and that, that, um, I, I think God wants me to be i'm I'm going to have to continue to take steps um toward a, a secure place in in life. And I am very much on the journey uh, i've I have not arrived. so um no, that's good. my yeah. hope is just that um obviously, through the book and 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 moments like this that we get to share that that people will just maybe realize they're they're on that journey um yeah. and take some steps
0: no, that's good. and but I think the i honestly, the recognition that I think there's insecurity in all of us. Maybe there's yeah. a person that is totally secure. I, I, I've not met them exactly yet, <laughs> um, but I think just being self-aware of that, and honestly, this the the ability to think and process. And I was challenged just to be begin to pray about it, and and decisions I were make I'm making um, as a leader and as a husband, as a father. Am I doing making those decisions because out of a place of insecurity or security, and who? am I placing my trust in? And so that's, I, I just appreciated you bringing the subject up. And as you said, it's not something that people really want to talk about. And, and you know, it's not something that makes you feel necessarily awesome and feel good, but at the same time, it's so valuable um, because it helps us draw closer to him and find your security in Christ rather than the the, the things that you mentioned, the appreciation, affirmation, and, and applause, and all the A's that you said. It right. so, that could be your next book. You could write a book on all the A's of the destructive nature of A's or something. <laughs> right. I don't know. So anyway. I just want to pause for 30 seconds in the middle of this episode to share some exciting news about the book I published, A Caring Life, How Each of Us Can Change the Trajectory of an Uncaring World. It's available now on Amazon and audiobook, Kindle, and print form. And the book helps us recognize that our world is moving in a direction of an uncaring life and helps us reorient towards a caring life where those that are in our life feel valued, they feel known, they know that they belong and they matter. The book, as I said, is, is a valuable resource and I believe will help change the trajectory of an uncaring world. It's available now on Amazon. Um, next question for you. You write about uh, lacking self-awareness and the idea of having vision for the church and not necessarily vision for the people you serve. Could you could you unpack that for us?
2: Yeah, um, so I... I wanted to be starting out, you know, especially planting the church, I wanted to be the leader that we're talking about. This leader that, um, that doesn't just have, um, a a vision for, you know, the, the church, in my case, the church that we were starting, uh, but the kind of leader that is more like, you know, my wife's grandpa, that, that, um, that we were talking about, not that grandpa was perfect. I mean, he could be very demanding and very difficult to work for, like, he wasn't perfect, but he'd be the first person to tell you that, um, so, you know, I wanted to be that kind of leader, but I lacked the self-awareness to realize that I wasn't. Like I thought I was. That's good. That's and good. that's that's another one of those, those obstacles that can be in the way. Like we can have clarity on like where we're trying to go and, and the kind of leader that we wanna be. But if we lack self-awareness, we can end up kind of tricking ourselves into thinking that we are much farther along in the journey than we really are. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, when it comes to ministry, I feel like at any time today you go to a conference, you know, for ministry, it, like, like vision just gets talked about in every session. And then you're like, well, let's go to the breakouts and talk about something else. And they all end up talking about it, too. It just literally gets talked about constantly. And so, like, well, let's just say w- when the Lord is leading you to do something. Uh, please develop a clear and compelling way of communicating what God is asking you to do um, so that people can, can understand what you're trying to do and and pray and figure out about whether they're supposed to join you as, as you do it. Um, So please do that. Um, But we don't need to just have vision for our ministry. We have to have vision for the people that God is bringing onto our team and realize that it's not just about the thing that God is calling us to accomplish, but that God has purposes and plans for all of those people and that it could be bigger than just the vision that we have for our ministry. Like in the sense, Mm. not everybody's supposed to be on our team for life. Like it'd be just for us as leaders. It would just be like so much easier. If it's like once people committed (laughs) to helping you do that, they just stayed forever, Um, you know, like, but that's ridiculous. First of all, like that just does not happen. And, and and at the end, sometimes as leaders, we can get so concerned with making sure everybody reaches our finish line with us hmm. that that we forget that really a big part of the calling is that, that we get to their finish line with them. Like hmm. maybe the reason God brought us, some people onto our team, uh, brought people to us was not so much so that they could help us accomplish what we were dreaming of and that God put on our heart, but so that because we were one of the people that they needed in their life, ultimately to get where God was taking them. So they're only with us for a season under our leadership. But if we use our leadership correctly, there may come a day where they leave your team, but they will never leave your influence. Because your influence was never about you. It was always about them.
1: Yeah. Um, And that's,
2: that's just, that's not a part that we may brace very willingly, just kind of the thought of like, no, I just got these people for a season. And am I doing what I'm supposed to do in their lives for the season? Cause we can get so driven by our dream. A lot of us, obviously, um, that get called to do this, our dreamers. And we, we, that we're wired for it. Um, but but at the end of the day, um we can want to be that kind of generous leader. again, when 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 we talk about a generous and a humble leader and somebody who's secure and who serves and sacrifices, we all know that's right. We all know that's biblical. We all know how incredible that is. But sometimes we lack the self-awareness to realize that we're not nearly as close to that goal as we would like to think that we are. And so again, we can wind up um, doing damage to the people that God has given us um, to serve alongside of us for whatever season that is. Um, And we can end up just, uh, the ultimate point is we end up doing the exact opposite of what we really wanted to do in people's lives, um, if we're not careful. And that was, again, my story too. We started out the church. I I so wanted to be like grandpa. Uh, Ultimately, I was trying to be a little bit more like grandpa as I was trying to be a little more like Jesus, you know, like um, that's what I was trying to do. And I was just so far off. Like I kind of was becoming a leader that only had vision for me and my dream and my thing and not for the people that God had given me. So, um, I hope that, I hope that brought some, some clarity.
0: For sure. Uh, do you think the reason you said you've been to lots of leadership things where we talk about the dream and the vision, but not the people, do you think it's easier to, to talk about and think about that than it is necessarily for, for the people? Or why do you think it's, we drift towards that direction? And sorry, I didn't ask you this question before, but it's, hey, as a- you're talking, it's just made me think. Um, and and I agree with you a hundred percent, but why do you think we drift towards that versus for people?
2: I, I don't exactly know uh, yeah. the answer. I, I know it's, it is just the trend. It's the popular, you know, um, topic. Um, it, it's probably something that like, in, in, in the past, maybe in the experiences a lot of us had maybe like growing up in, in church and in different settings, there, there was a kind of a lack of a cohesive vision where everybody understood, hey, this is what we're going toward. And it, it stifled a lot of, of the growth maybe that could have happened. So it's just kind of like we've swung that pendulum hard, you know, the other way, um, which we all know this, Some, sometimes that pendulum just needed to get swung to the middle uh, and it got swung all the way to the other true. side. So true, it, in that sense, it, yeah. it it it's a very important and necessary thing. But yeah, sometimes it 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 can like it can get out of balance. And if if you if you only think about the vision for your ministry, please have a clear and compelling vision and com- communicate it consistently, but then just realize like you've done your job of like giving people the opportunity to be led by God, to join your team, to help you accomplish that. And now your mission is is not to get them on your team. You did your part for that. Now your job is, is to help them understand that you're on their team and that like you are, you're here for their benefit and for their growth, whether they ever help you do the thing God called you to, maybe God brought them into your life just so that you could be the, you're the gift that they need. And sometimes it's both, you know, they're the person you needed to help you get where you yeah. were going and you were the person they needed to help them become who, like, obviously that happens. It's just that none of us, none of that is up to us. That's all hmm. up to God. But sometimes we operate like it's very much up to us yeah. <laughs> and we spend our whole lives communicating what God has called us to do. And then we spend all of our time trying to convince everybody that they'd be crazy not to join us doing our thing.
1: Hmm.
0: That's good. Challenging and and, and good. In the chapter on positive, you say talk about choosing positivity um, mm-hmm. and you discuss the value of belief. What are some re- reasons that um, belief is so vital um, for those trying to be someone's biggest fan? You know, belief and, and being somebody's biggest fan. Yeah. What's the importance of that?
2: Yeah. I mean – like in that particular, you know, chapter, um, it's another obstacle that can just get in the way. Like if you want to be people's biggest fans, but you're pessimistic and negative, um, then it's a, (laughs) It's gonna be really hard. Uh, it's, you know, and again, like I said, I'm like a gold medal winning, you know, insecure person. I am a gold medal winning pessimist. I took a test one time about like that puts you on a spectrum of optimism and pessimism. And I was like, oh dear Jesus, like my results were so bad. And I do, I like I share about it in the chapter. I just I have struggles with that. I I I, I can focus on the negative so easily. It's part of my personality. If if anybody's ever done the Enneagram, I'm a one that's a perfectionist and I can just so easily focus on what's wrong. Um, but yeah, that really colors your thinking, which shapes what you believe about other people. Um, It can it can keep you from seeing the potential in people when all you can see is kind of like the areas they need to work on, which that matters. Like you can't help people grow if you can't challenge the areas where they need to grow. That's part of it. But it can get so out of balance and just so out of whack. So that belief is 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 really important. One, if you struggle with negative thinking, you have to believe that you can stop like you have to believe that you can actually control your thoughts which is one of the cycles that negative thinking can get you in that you convince yourself that you can't control what you think and when you think it but you actually can take every thought captive like that actually hmm. not not without god's help probably but you know like because yeah. of him it's actually possible to do that and and if you want to be a leader that sees the potential in others, you have to believe that you can get control of your thought life. You have mm. to believe that you can move your thoughts from like unbiblical ways of seeing yourself and others to biblical ways of seeing it. And that's where the the beauty happens. Because again, like Paul said, it we'll just kind of full circle this back to Ephesians two ten. It says we're God's masterpiece. And if we mm. can't believe that about other people, it's going to be really hard um, to help them become who God made them to be. Um, so, so that, yeah, we've got to get a rein on, on the negative, uh, thinking it doesn't help us. It, it, it doesn't help anybody. So I'd say that if if you're a person who's pessimistic and struggles with that, start with the belief that you can win this battle with God's help. Amen. And then, you know, uh, allow those biblical and positive thoughts to shape your belief about those who are around you so that you can see the best in others.
0: Good. Good, good word. You also share about the the power of friendship and um, it being more valuable than than titles. Um, in the world we live in today, I think titles and many people titles are more important than probably their friendships. Um, what are some barriers to friendship that maybe leaders might face that might be different than somebody else who's not? You're a pastor, obviously leading a church. And what are some things that you just as you've been on this journey, you found even as an evangelist, as a leader there? What are some of the challenges leaders face when it comes to friendship?
2: Well, I think one of the biggest ones, and this is just, I mean, it's my, my take on this is my like opinion. You're going to, you're going to hear different things from different people and that's, that's totally fine. But I think one of the biggest problems is that leaders buy into the lie that they can't be friends with the people that they work with. I I just think that's, I just don't think that's true. And Mm. the reason I don't think it's true Is because of John chapter 15, (laughs) where Jesus Jesus told his closest followers, you're my friends. Like, Hmm. he's like, you're, you're my friends. He could have given them um, lots of titles. Um, And and the reason that we all search after titles is, is not, it's not for the sake of the title. It's for, it's, it's for what that title can get us. It's, it's not because we think that the title is valuable. It's because everybody around us thinks that the title is valuable. What we're really after is for others to think that we have worth and value. And if mm-hmm. we have that title, other people associate that with value and worth. So we chase after it because we really want everybody else to think that we're we're valuable. Sure. And when Jesus wanted to confer worth onto his disciples, like John chapter fifteen, Jesus has basically been talking about his worth. He's mm-hmm. "I am the vine." you are the branches. How important am I? Like, what's my value, right? Like what's my worth without me, you're dead. (laughs) Hmm. Like Jesus is like, if you're not grafted into me, you cannot have life. That's my worth. And then Jesus like switches from talking about in, in that sense, his own worth to conveying worth onto his disciples. And how did he choose to do that? He called them his friends. Like does friend really convey um your full worth well i would argue yeah but only cuz jesus said so <laughs> like apparently good. for jesus that was the best title you could get and i just think we can operate in that i think you can be friends with the people that you lead now now you can't sometimes we feel like if if we're somebody's friend this is one of the challenges uh that leaders face is that you can't have challenging conversations with people if you're somebody's friend and i that's a Misunderstanding, I think, on our part, that it, it's like, man, we got to avoid conflict at all costs. And we've got that's not a component of friendship. Like, there's nowhere that it says to truly be somebody's friend means you never have a tough conversation. Yeah, that's good. Like, so I think yeah. that's one of the challenges is people kind of take that concept of friendship and they think, well, if I'm friends with people, then I, I won't be able to lead them because I can't be challenging. And I can't, well, that's just, to me, that doesn't have anything to do with friendship. Because again, Jesus was like, you guys are my friends. And he pled- he said plenty of very difficult things to those guys. Like actually some super difficult ones. Like when he told Peter, you're Satan. <laughs> <laughs> like, he, that's that's he, a little
0: bit Peter. difficult. Yeah. Yeah.
2: He was like, Hey, Peter, you're basically being like the devil right now. So like, why don't you, why don't you get out of here?
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, like, uh, and obviously I'm just kind of messing around with that <laughs> example, but I mean, seriously, like yeah. he said some really tough stuff. So I think that's one of the challenges we think if we're people's friends, that that keeps us from being able to lead them. But I actually think that's the best context to lead people from is, is friendship.
0: And so maybe what I hear you saying is, is maybe our definition of friendship has become skewed, or what a friend actually is has become skewed, and because of that, maybe it does fit that context that we can't be friends with them because we've kind of changed the definition. Versus coming back to more biblical definition of what Jesus saw as friends is probably what we should be be focusing on. Is that am I taking am I yeah. taking your words out of context, or is that
2: no, no, not at all? I think that's a really fair uh, uh, way of way of saying that. Is yeah, we've redefined friendship, and because of that, people face all these obstacles about leading in in a, in in a friendship. Um, that don't, they don't really exist. We created them. Uh, yeah. And if we get a biblical definition of friendship, then we can operate from that. Um, and it, I, I just think it it helps us. Uh, it helps us realize our worth. It helps us realize the worth of others. And you just don't need the titles. Like if you get one, like fantastic. I mean, you can yeah. just throw it up on the website, you know, <laughs> <Like> put it <laughs> on your card. Like, that's fantastic. I just, my, I guess my point is you're never going to get a better title than friend. Yeah. You can have lots of other titles and that can give you Kind of like, like extra reasons to have influence in somebody's life because they see value and worth in that title. But you just, my point would be, you don't need them. If you're somebody's hmm. friend, you have a voice in their life. That's good. Um, you can have a lot of other titles, even titles like dad. Yeah. And 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 you can not have influence in somebody's life. Like in your own kid's life, if you don't have a deep relationship and even like friendship with with your kid, like friend gets you influence in people's lives. And Hmm. that's all you need to make a difference. Um, So I I just I think there's a lot of beauty in that that title uh, in embracing it rather than, like you said, kind of redefining it and then kind of acting like we can't operate in it.
0: Amen, amen. One last question for you: um, As you wrote this book, and you know, I think when you write a book, some things change. Were there something as you were writing this book? Was there something that maybe you change or changed in you about leadership? Sorry, I'm going to have to let me pause this. I'm going to have to get my dog, or we're going to have barking dog throughout this whole podcast. Hold on, just a second. So I know is is sometimes when you write a book um, some things about the idea that you're writing about might change as you're writing and learning and growing. Is there something as you wrote this book about from your biggest fan that maybe your perception or your thoughts on change is throughout the process?
2: I, I think a, a couple of, of things, I, I think, um, as I wrote, like kind of the second section of the book is about the obstacles and we've mentioned insecurity and a lack of self-awareness and, um, net, you know, negativity and, um, you know there's some other ones that, that we talk about like not being able to give credit you know to other people for what they do and, and just things like that. I think what, you know, actually changed a little bit for me was I think I realized a lot more just how deadly these obstacles really can be. Just how like easily hmm. we can, if we don't work through these obstacles, how easy it is to actually become the leader that we didn't want to be. Wow. Um, and so like that changed for me is like, I actually, you know, was like, I mean, I knew these things were obstacles, but I think right. my, my feeling of just like, man, just how just truly deadly these things can be, um, and rob us and rob others, like actually increased as I wrote about them. I was like, this, this really is a, a big deal. And yeah. the other thing is, was, it's just more personal. I just realized I, I'm, I'm even farther <laughs> <laughs> from from getting where I want to go than, than I thought it was. so in in a very odd way, I wrote the book because I obviously felt like I had something to share and yeah. felt very passionate about it and I wanted to help others. Um, but but the book really ended up being a big challenge just for me personally. Um, yeah. of just realizing, okay, like Jason, you you've got you got a hill to climb here. yeah, um, and maybe you haven't climbed up as far as you you can. So the book was very challenging for me, um, personally um but but also you know uh, encouraging you know as well like that i can do it um you can that our friends who are listening in like they can make progress in in these things and that just just like thank god um that as we're on this journey like god can just use us in spite of us um he uses us a, a lot because of the gifts and talents he put in us he wired us he like he uses what he put in us but then there's just so much grace uh, there's so much goodness and kindness uh, from God to just use us uh, long before we get this figured out and long before we get to where we're going. Um, so that, that'd be maybe just kind of a final thought is just be gracious with yourself. That's like good. give lots more grace to other people, please. We yeah. give way, way more to yourself as well, because um, we're all we're all on this journey together.
0: Jason, I've enjoyed getting to know you. Um, I felt like I knew you a little bit from reading the book. Um, I think that's one of the benefits, but um, just to get to meet you in person and hear your heart and your passion has been, a, has been a joy for me today. Would you mind, we normally end the podcast in prayer, and will you pray? You can pray whatever direction you'd like to pray for the audience, That, but, but with the idea that they'll take the things from your book, um, not just as knowledge, but we'll put these things into action, application and action in, in our life.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, um, we love you. Uh, and and it's, it is a huge privilege um, to know you and, and to serve you. And I thank you for every, every friend that's listening in um, that, uh, that you're working in their lives, God, that you're working through their lives. You, you have invested each of them with a potential that's far greater um, than, than what they have ever seen. Uh, and that's not a testimony to their greatness. That's a testimony to your greatness, God. Uh, but I pray that you would help them to continue to discover who you created them to be. And as they discover that, God, that you would just help them to um, to be really secure in who they are becoming in, in Christ. And to, to begin to lead from that place of security, God. That Because I know that they're going to benefit from it, but so will everybody around them. And God, I pray that you would um, just help each of us as we're on this journey to be gracious with ourselves, um, to be gracious with those around us. And and God, I pray that you would just give us eyes to see uh, the potential that you've put in others and, and help us to use our voice to call that out. Lord, help us to speak life into those around us, um, to share with them the things that we see in them, because chances are that they have never seen that in themselves. And we can be the person that you use to help somebody else to discover um, why you've created them, the purposes that you have for their life, the potential to do the good things that you have planned for them. God, I pray for every person uh, who is working to build for your kingdom, continue to use them in in incredible ways, Uh, use them to do just amazing things in in whatever area, whatever community, whatever ministry they may be leading. Jesus, I pray be with them. Jesus, be in them and continue your work of transformation in their lives and use them to do things, uh, as your word says, that are exceedingly abundantly above all that they could ever ask or even imagine in Jesus we pray all these things in your holy name amen
0: amen